0: Hi everybody, I'm Brent Stafford, and welcome to another segment of RegWatch on GFN.tv. We spend a great deal of time on this broadcast discussing issues around harm reduction, specifically as it relates to tobacco use. In what is now a decade-long struggle to convince public health, regulators, and the public that nicotine vaping products are a safer alternative to smoking, advocates the world over have turned to tobacco harm reduction to help make the case. But is it working? Joining us today to tackle this question is one of the founders of the drug harm reduction movement, Dr. Alex Wodak. Dr. Wodak is a physician specialized in internal medicine and he's the former director of the Alcohol and Drug Service at St. Vincent's Hospital in Sydney, Australia, where he worked from 1982 to 2012. During his career, Dr. Wodak helped establish Australia's first needle syringe program and first supervised injecting facility when both were pre-legal. He also served as president of the International Harm Reduction Association. Dr. Wodak, thanks for coming on the show. Great pleasure, Brent. It's great to see you. Before we begin, a quick note to our viewers here on GFN News, and it's a bit of a cross-promotion. Part two of today's interview with Dr. Wodak is scheduled for release on our main RegWatch social media channels, on regulatorwatch.com in just a few days. So keep watch for that. Dr. Wodak, right off the top, tobacco harm reduction. Is it a valid application of the harm reduction principle?
1: Yes, it's a very valid application. Uh, look, uh, harm reduction has being used for all the different kinds of drugs, uh, alcohol, tobacco, prescription drugs, illicit drugs. It's most... Well, known for its application for illicit drugs, but we use it uh, widely uh, in the drugs field and also in public health and generally in public policy, particularly in road safety. uh, Where outside the drugs field, it's generally harm reduction is not controversial, it's not difficult.
0: So, what are the core principles around harm reduction?
1: The central focus is reducing the adverse consequences of a risk behavior. Uh, So we still try to reduce the extent of that uh, risk behavior, um, but generally those efforts aren't terribly effective. Uh, What is very effective is focusing in on the, the actual harm and trying to reduce that. So of course, in road safety, we try to reduce the number of road crashes and the severity of road crashes, those efforts continue. They have some success, yes. um, but the real success in road safety is with harm reduction. So seat belts, airbags, motorcycle helmets, incredibly effective. And the same thing goes in the drugs field. Where the drugs field gets difficult with harm reduction is because there's a pleasure involved that people are a little uncomfortable with. And we see that with other pleasures where there's also some harm, uh, particularly uh, sex. A lot of people are uncomfortable about sex and drugs and people getting pleasure from that. And that's where introducing harm reduction often is quite difficult. And it certainly is
0: difficult with drugs harm reduction. So then considering drugs harm reduction and the pleasure that's involved there, I guess, from the user. You know, How does that extend to tobacco harm reduction? Is it just about the nicotine then? Is that the issue that people have a problem with? Is the pleasure from using nicotine? Yes, there's a lot of
1: opposition in the tobacco control and public health field to nicotine, to cigarettes, and especially to big tobacco. So anything that seems to be dealing with those as without taking a morally judgmental stand against them, is seen as very threatening. And uh, harm reduction avoids moral judgments, both about the consumers of psychoactive drugs and also the producers of psychoactive drugs. It's just, it puts that aside and focuses
0: on reducing harm and It's very effective in doing that. We don't see the natural drug harm reduction advocate totally, you know, getting out the posters and the signs and marching on behalf of tobacco harm reduction. They seem to be some of the most opposing people around. Look, public health, um, including tobacco control, has been
1: pretty supportive of drug harm reduction until it involved tobacco. There there is quite a history of uh, harm reduction. And in the drugs field, it really became very prominent when the HIV epidemic emerged in the early 1980s. And people started to realise that there was a very serious risk of major health, social and economic costs resulting from widespread HIV infection spreading among people who inject drugs and then spreading from them to the general community. And in probably up to a dozen countries that actually happened. And it was very, very damaging. Um, So harm reduction emerged uh, arguably in Liverpool, Merseyside in UK in 1987, where the term was used directly. Um, And, uh, Around about that time, in the Netherlands and the UK, there was uh, growing support, including government support, for setting up needle syringe programs. And we had, around that time, a hell of a battle in Australia to get needle syringe programs accepted. My colleagues and I resorted to civil disobedience to get that started in time. So it was was very difficult. And even before that, we'd had difficulty uh, getting methadone programs accepted, even though the evidence was already very compelling that methadone programs were very helpful to people who use drugs and their families and their communities. Uh, And indeed, every new drug harm reduction intervention has been fiercely resisted in almost every country. Generally, they get accepted eventually. And then the next stage is uh, they get expanded roughly to the scale that's needed. The next stage is people say, why the hell didn't you tell us that these are so effective and so safe and so cost effective? And that's been the history with um, many drug harm reduction interventions. And I'm sure this is what's going to happen with tobacco harm reduction that eventually the resistance will be overcome and the tobacco harm reduction options will be expanded and uh, will prove to be enormously beneficial, uh, save many, many lives, save many, many dollars. Um, And I think that's what we can look forward to. But in the meantime, in my 40 years of experience in this area, every new drug harm reduction intervention gets resisted to the hilt, and uh, eventually we get there. And I'm sure that'll happen here.
0: But like you mentioned, though, regarding big tobacco, in the other, you know, applications around drugs, there isn't this invested uh, kind of emotional and professional investment in fighting big tobacco. I mean, is it just a matter, like a big tobacco hadn't been so shameful? Do you think it would be a bit different? You know? Or Big Tobacco say wasn't involved in vaping in any manner? Would that make a big difference?
1: Look, I think there was similar kind of resistance with the needle syringe programs, for example, uh, that the, the people who were advocating, uh, entrenched advocates for drug prohibition felt very threatened when we started to introduce something that really did work and uh, was enormously beneficial to the community. And so they resisted the needle syringe programs. I couldn't for the life of me understand why there was so much resistance. When we had, at that stage, uh, HIV was not treatable. There was no no treatment for it. Uh, And so it seemed obvious we had to hand out clean needles and syringes, and take back used needles and syringes. Yet there was um, ferocious resistance. And I think this is the same. Careers are threatened, uh, empires are threatened, organisations and their funding are threatened, and people who have built up comfortable, successful careers uh, feel that everything is at risk now. I don't really care about that. What I care about is reducing cancer, heart and lung disease from smoking. Eight million deaths a year. In my country, there are more deaths from smoking than there are from alcohol, plus prescription drugs, plus illicit drugs, plus road crashes, plus suicide, plus HIV. It's a very big public health problem. And I'm sure this is the same in almost all countries.
0: Dr. Wodak, from your position in watching everything unfold, do you think that public health has been participating in misinformation with regard to nicotine vaping and the efficacy and uh, reduced risk? Yes, of course, public health and tobacco control
1: are not helping by so vigorously spreading um, information they must know is wrong uh, is simply incorrect. It doesn't make it any easier, but uh, frankly, this is what happened with all the other battles we've had in drug harm reduction. They've always resorted to uh, smear and fear campaigns, so that people like me and my counterparts in other countries have been smeared, and they've run campaigns that, um, that the harm reduction interventions, uh, despite the compelling evidence uh, for them uh, that they wouldn't work and that they would, and the sky would fall in. And we heard this with methadone treatment, with needle syringe programs, with uh, drug consumption rooms, with drug testing, uh, you name it. Uh, They've run the same kind of campaigns and really the campaign of disinformation um, with tobacco harm reduction against harm, tobacco harm reduction is really no different from what's happened previously. We do have another factor, though, this time, and that is that uh, that the tobacco harm reduction options are also disruptive innovations, and that's another reason why they're going to be accepted. Um, we have powerful market forces now which will steamroll uh, uh, these tobacco harm reduction options to get accepted. Um, it, uh, the tobacco industry is about 1% of global GDP. It's about trillion dollars, close to that. Um, and uh, the many people in the tobacco industry realise that combustible cigarettes obsolete, Uh, just like the analog cameras uh, were obsolete and were replaced by digital cameras, just like um, the landlines we used to use 30, 40 years ago were replaced by Nokia and then by BlackBerry and then by smartphones. The same thing is going to happen in this area as well. And uh, so I'm supremely confident that... um, will be on the side of history and our opponents will be uh, trodden into the dust
0: so dr wodak let me ask you then about tobacco companies and their efforts to go smoke free is this something that is credible like should we actually take tobacco big tobacco's promise to go smoke free
1: if we want to see consumers of nicotine uh, go from uh, deadly options to much lower risk options then clearly the people who produce those products have to also go from highly dangerous products, uh, and cigarettes are incredibly dangerous. Uh, We also have to see the producers go down the same risk gradient from high risk to low risk. And we have to remember that Philip Morris International, the largest traded tobacco company in the world, Uh, actually began this process in 2004 when they stopped spending money on research into cigarettes and started spending money on reduced-risk options. And they have spent, between 2004 and now, they've spent $9 billion on that research. And they uh, started marketing their reduced-risk options in 2015 uh, when these options accounted for uh, only 0.1% of uh, uh, PMI's income. And uh, in the first quarter of this year, they accounted for 30% of their income. And by 2025, PMI believes that they will reach their target of 50%. And of course, they want to they make that transition. And the the share market rewards tobacco companies that are making a faster transition by having a higher price. And if your tobacco company is being very slow in making that transition, the share market marks your share price down. So I think it's very clear how this is all going to end. And it's, it's going to end so that People who like nicotine, who don't want to stop using nicotine, will have safer options. And let's hope they'll get keep on getting safer and safer.
0: Sounds like to me that no matter what, their business is so big, they are selling the product that is harming people. So the most important place for tobacco harm reduction to happen is at the tobacco company. Tobacco control certainly has an issue uh, in terms of taking... Uh, Philip Morris and the other tobacco companies pledges to, you know, go smoke-free, certainly worse than a green of salt. They actually pretty much don't believe it at all.
1: Look, I'm not
0: faced by that.
1: Uh, international drug control uh, fought harm reduction every step of the way. 25 years ago, uh, my colleagues and I went to uh, the headquarters of the World Health Organization in Geneva, and we requested uh, a meeting with uh, senior executives, which was granted. And we complained to them that WHO was opposed to needle syringe programs, um, and they were. Uh, uh, the International Harm Reduction Association held an annual conference in Geneva deliberately to engage with WHO. And WHO sent a memo to its staff, to bidding their staff to attend meeting in their own city Um, so we requested that meeting they granted the meeting and then a year later um, who and another organization came to our conference and they said uh, i am with you individually and we are with you organizationally and they dropped their opposition to drug harm reduction so this is a familiar battle for me i've been in this battle for 40 years and um, every time, uh, my colleagues and I have started off in a minority, the tiny minority, we've been vilified and ostracized. Uh, and over time, uh, people have said, maybe you're right. And then later on, they said, yes, you are right. And then they said, you're even more right than you let us believe. And I think we'll follow the same pattern with tobacco harm reduction and it's uh, sad for me that our erstwhile colleagues in public health have been so incalcitrant but that's their problem
0: dr wodak is it fair to say then that the war on vaping could be an extension of the war on drugs
1: it's very clear that the war on drugs has metastasized to a war on vaping uh uh And it's ironic that around the world, we are now in the process of legalizing cannabis, regulating it, uh, recognizing that all the complaints that my colleagues and I in the harm reduction and drug law reform field, all the complaints we made about cannabis prohibition were correct. And so now cannabis is being regulated for the first time. Uh, But in the meantime, uh, there is a de facto ban being imposed on vaping. It's not being prohibited outright, except in a few countries, but it's being uh, regulated so strictly. It's so hard to get uh, or so expensive um, that it's, it's a de facto prohibition. And the result will be the same,
0: Dr. Wodak. The opponents to vaping, tobacco control, many in public health, are they open to debate?
1: The opponents of vaping uh, avoid debate whenever they can. Um, that's certainly true in my country, and I think it's true around the world. And I okay. guess that uh, they're being given instructions to um, avoid the debate and. The, avoiding the debate as they did with drug prohibition. They're avoiding the debate um, because it's a debate they can only lose. The facts, the evidence, the arguments aren't on their side. The arguments are on our side. So they avoid the debate and they resort to smearing us and they resort to fear campaigns. And to be honest, um, those tactics work for a while, Uh, they do. Um, it's hard to fight fear campaigns, it's hard to fight smear campaigns, Um, but those campaigns don't last forever. Uh, And uh, they're delaying the inevitable, but they can't prevent it.
0: Now, we hear all the time uh, in this debate over nicotine vaping that the damage, the concern is all about the kids. In the end, they're throwing adult smokers and adult users of vaping products under the bus in order to prevent the next generation of nicotine users. Now, that does seem a bit familiar from the drugs war. The
1: arguments of the uh, vaping opponents and the opponents of other forms of tobacco harm reduction don't withstand scrutiny. They're preposterous nonsense. Uh, And... We need to say that. We need to call it out. Um, and eventually, people will start listening to us because at the end of the day, the people who will make the decisions, policy decisions, won't be the health professionals and the academics. Uh, it'll be professional politicians. And the politicians will hear from the vapors, the consumers, the, the people who struggle for decades to smoking and we're only able to do that by switching to vaping or other harm reduction options they'll hear from many of them and the secret of this is energizing the vapors energizing the consumers the advocates Um, they're the ones who will end this epidemic by prevailing upon the politicians uh, to change their mind on this and i think this is going to happen it's happened in the uk it's happened in new zealand And it's significant that the the politician who made that decision in the UK, David Cameron, prime minister in 2010, was an ex-smoker. And he understood the arguments. He knew that this was nonsense. Um, So I think we're gonna see this uh, with pressure coming from both sides, from the consumers and also the producers. They don't wanna produce deadly products. They know the products are deadly. They know that their products that have been so profitable for so long are obsolete, and they are. So is this fight winnable? Yes, the fight is very winnable. We, we will win this debate eventually, uh, as we did with methadone treatment, with needle syringe programs, with drug consumption rooms, with heroin-assisted treatment, with drug testing. Um, they're hard battles. Um, but eventually they're they're, uh, one in almost all countries. There are a few countries today that still stand out against drug harm reduction. Uh, Russia, Saudi Arabia, uh, Singapore, uh, they do exist, Um, but every year there's uh, fewer of them and there are more countries that accept it. And it's significant that um, no congressman was more active in writing legislation for the war on drugs in the United States, Joe Biden, and now Joe Biden is president and harm reduction is steaming ahead in the United States. It's still got a way to go, but uh, it's clear that um, uh, support in the United States for the war on drugs is shrinking and support for effective harm reduction is expanding. That'll happen here as well.